Welcome to episode 814 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 814 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? Pretty bloody good, Bevan. How about yourself? You're not in the studios. I'm not. I got a call from John. I, you haven't got COVID, but you've been around COVID. Well, my daughter's, one of my daughter's friends has got it. So just plan it safe. Don't want to infect little Bevan and, uh, and interrupt your life too much. So plan it safe. Have you had a test? I have not had a test. I only found out about an hour ago. So oh, okay. I'll uh, see how today pans out. Well, good luck. Fingers crossed you don't get it. I am talking proudly brought to you by uh, awesome partner patron partners. We've got profile design. They do hydration, wheels, storage, aerobars, stems, handlebars, uh, do the full gambit. So especially that adjustability around your front end. I was, I've been playing around with my front end a little bit in terms of adjusting the aerobars. And the cool thing is they're um, interchangeable on, on all sorts of different bikes. So check out profile design. We've got the Magic 5. I was cranking out a few links for them this morning. No leaks or anything like that. Custom fitted goggles. Uh, use an app to you download and it uh, scans your face. So fantastic swim goggles. And lastly, Triathlon Store. The world Triathlon Store. Um, I've actually getting using them to get some kit for my upcoming Kona camp. So you can get fully customized kit or you can just go on there and find your stuff. You can buy I Am Talk kit as well. Go to IamTalk.me and click through our store and you can uh, look fancy while you're out there training. You know that, that um, the Magic Five are on Shark Tim? Oh, really? Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now let me have a look. You, you, okay. Wait. I'll, I'll talk about some, some of our patrons. No, no, here we go. Here we go. Here's, here's the results. So they went on Shark Tank. And when are we they, talking? Uh, when would this be? They haven't got the date here. Uh, it looks like. Uh, okay. For, I those that, for those that don't know, Shark Tank is like. Like a, Dragon's Den in the UK. Yeah. You go on yeah. there and you pitch, you pitch your product, and you have all these investors saying, it's either a load of crap or this is a fantastic idea, and we'll invest to get you to, to grow the business. Okay, so it looks like it was kind of fairly recently, within the last kind of few years at least. They were asking for 500000 for 2.5% equity of the business. Mm-hmm. The result was a million dollars for 6.5% equity in the business. And Robert, whoever it is, ended up taking it on. You know, one thing that's interesting about Shark Tank, this is totally, we're going totally filled at the beginning of the show today, but to go on the show, you've got to give equity of your business. Okay. Yeah, to even go because I listened to a guy. A guy had this, he's got a quite a successful business, um, a tech business, and he wanted to go on Shark Tank for, with another business. And if you mention anything about your other business on the show, they get ownership of your other business as well. Huh. Yeah. So even just getting on the show, you actually have to give somebody equity in your show and your business because obviously that exposure is really good for your brand anyway. Mm. And so yeah, but yeah, so they end up doing better than they thought, and obviously it's taken off because we're talking about here today, John. Exactly. So let's take some of our patrons. Uh, we've got Gareth, the Hannibal Hitman Hopkin. We've got Hamish, I never hit the wall. He didn't hit the wall on Sunday. He was doing the Sea to Sky Challenge and he had a good race. Good and sir. Michael, call me Sir Turner. Okay, so here we go. This week's show, we've got some news. We've got some hot topics. We've got a website of the week. We've got John's History Lesson. We are going back to 1996, the Hawaii Ironman, and it was one of the all-time great races. 
Oh, you got me. You got me going on a YouTube rabbit hole by talking about this. So we'll talk about that later on as well. Coach's corner. What are we talking about? We are talking about my slightly derailed. I, I wrote this up a couple of weeks ago. I mentioned that I would talk about setting my expectations for the Kona seventy point three, and hopefully people can learn from that. So you know, I'm not at peak fitness, um, but I still want to go over there and have a really solid race. So about setting those expectations. Since I wrote it. A little bit derailed, but we'll still go through it. Um, so yeah, we're talking about uh, Kona 70.3 build-up. Okay, let's get into the show questions and answers. Winger of the week at the end as well. We've also got the results and news coming up right now. So we did have some half-distance races happening over the weekend. The big one was the Challenge, or oh, sorry, Clash, Miami. Uh, some pretty, pretty good racing. Well, yeah, I, I don't know why they raced on Friday. I'm not sure if they did this last time, but I was uh, on the trainer on Saturday morning and then uh, saw that that was on. So I ended up watching um, a bit of the, the guys race. I was doing a bit of work as well. So I didn't get to see the females race, but there was some interesting action. Uh, however, in the end, Ashley Gentle absolutely spanked everybody by eight minutes. Uh, she's a former well, probably still current um, world at triathlon, sort of short distance athlete, been to the Olympics at least, a, I think probably twice probably. Um, she actually crushed it in front of Pamela Oliveira and Maya Stage Nelson. Um, however, uh, a couple of DNFs there, Emma Pallant-Brown, who I thought would probably win the race. Uh, she ended up lying on her back on the track with suffering very badly from the heat. Sarah Perez also has done well at this race. Apparently she crashed. Uh, and then Chelsea Sodaro um, also struggled with the heat. So yeah, interesting racing on the female side. On the boys' side, Sam Long really strong. He came through on the bike and uh, and then sort of had it all under control on the run. Jason West came in second um, with the fastest run of the day and Ben Canute hung on to third. So it's good coverage. Um, they had uh, yeah, you know, free... Full coverage of the whole entire race. Uh, her good commentary team, and yeah, it was it was solid. Um, someone sent, who sent us through that email about that race. Um, I don't someone... have that in front of me, but yeah, there was there was quite a few DNFs as we mentioned. Sort of Emma Pallant Brown. Um, as I said, it was on a Friday. It was a seventeen hundred meter swim, sixty seven k bike, seventeen k run. I thought I'd have a quick look and how many people actually do this event as well. I mean, it's you know, it's not an Ironman-branded race that takes out heaps already. The other disadvantage I've got is it's you know, very early season. Most of North America is still you know, probably doing more of their off-season training, uh, and it's around a track, and it's not sort of your, quite your half Ironman distance race. They only had, from what I could see, 249 doing the middle distance race uh, about 300 odd in the sprint they had duathlon and team options they would have got more there they had a 5k race but I'm guessing probably would have maybe got a thousand or something like that although I didn't look at the 5k results but you know I just find it odd you compare that to 70.3 say an Oceanside in a couple of weeks they'll have you know two and a half three thousand people racing that event so Always interesting seeing you know, the, how the non-branded races do. So Lynette Latani sent through an email just giving us some kind of insight from the race, but she's saying that Sam Long is training 45 hours a week. Yeah. Yep. Well, we need to check that out on Strava. <laughs> if, if it's true, it's a lot. Of, now, what's training? Because there could be yoga and all the rest of it as well, couldn't it? Um, and drive, you know, when does training count? You know, for, you know, when I go to, for a swim, you know, it's an hour of swimming. But once you've left home, got there, come back, you know, it's probably an hour 45, something like that. So, hey, not saying he's not doing it. I'm just saying, let's uh, let's let's see. If You're saying you doubt that. So the question I have is how, how much time do most pros train a week? Well, Bevan, funny you should ask that. Well, I'm always so I, did, I did my, uh, 
I did the wanger of the week that you're going to find out later on. And we've got a pro that actually uh, was randomly drawn. So we'll, we'll, we'll have a look at how much training that pro does. Okay. Uh, we also had Challenge Shepparton happen in Australia. Yeah, Amelia Watkinson, a good Kiwi based in Australia. She managed to sneak in front of Lottie Wilms, um, just scraping in on the run there and beat her by uh, 20, 25 seconds. So good race by her. And on the boys' side, uh, Tim Van Berkel back in the winner's yeah. circle. Uh, he has been around for a long time and yeah, hasn't had the greatest results over the last little period. Obviously for Aussies, they really didn't travel. Kiwis and Aussies, a lot of them, didn't travel um, once the pandemic hit, so he didn't. He had a few results last year. He got second at Ironman Cairns. Maybe I'm I'm being a bit harsh. Uh, he had a fourth and a fifth at domestic races. Got second at Cairns uh, in 2020, 2020, but he hasn't really probably had that good result in Hawaii a few years ago. What year did he do well in Hawaii? It was quite a few years ago. He got a 15th, a 19th, 36. He got a seventh. I think seventh was probably 2014. Mm, so. Uh, so yeah, that was good. Good. Good to see him uh, still still going strong. How old is he? He is thirty seven. So yeah, getting towards the end of his career, you would think, but still winning races. So well, good there you go. Him. Okay, other news in the rankings now. We have a change in a females leader. Laura Phillip has now moved into the number one spot after the challenge Dubai. I'm oh, sorry, the Dubai performance. So um, it's all happening, isn't it? Yeah, and and we're going to see a lot. We'll, we'll see a fair amount of changes in the rankings, but you know she. <laughs> When you win, she's won the last four races that she's done. And uh, no, granted, none of them is, you know, uh, world championships, world championship races. Um, but she's done everything that she can. And yeah, hopefully this season these rankings are going to be really meaningful because you know so many people have been affected by yeah. COVID. Once we get a good, you know, well into the season we've had. Once we've had the St. George world champs and maybe some of these first PTO races. Um, hopefully we'll see these rank rankings really hold true. But, you know, when you look at the top five, Laura Phillip first, Lucy Charles second, Daniela Reef third, Taylor Nib fourth and Anne Hauk fifth. You'd say that's a pretty fair. They're the right people, aren't they? Yeah. And then on the guys' side, you've got Gustav Eden, Jan Fredino, Lionel Sanders, Daniel Beckengarden, Sam Long. And again, that's probably a pretty fair representation. Not perfect. But um, yeah. Where does um where does um Blumenfeld sit? Well, I don't think he, he's not very high up because he DNF recently. Uh, so he's he's a fair way down. But I'm I'm pretty sure we'll see him shoot up, up the rankings uh, reasonably quickly with a couple more races. He's currently 37th. There we go. Okay, uh, we also got the we had a race in New Zealand called Godzone. So Godzone is one of those crazy endurance events where they go for like seven days. You kind of don't sleep much. Basically, you're going to about 710 k's across the South Island of New Zealand. Bit of a legendary team, kind of wins it every year. Um, it's amazing how long Nathan Farfar has been going for, isn't it? He's got uh, so this team Avaya. Um, there's Nathan Farvey, who he must be. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's probably 50 or very close to it because I know Chris Fawn, who's also on that team. Uh, I went to primary school with him. He was the, the thorn in my side. He used to kick my ass uh, in the cross-country race. I finally think I got him towards the end. Uh, but at primary school, he so he's he's 40, 45, 46. Nathan Farve is definitely older than us, but he, he'd be close to 50. There's Sophie Hart, who's also in that team, and she don't actually know how old she is, and then they'll have one other guy. So... They're not uh, they're not spring chickens, but the, the the key one of the key things with these events is a you've got to be an awesome athlete, but b navigation is just crucial. And apparently Chris Vaughan, who was in that leading team, is like 
the king of navigation in terms of uh, multi-day racing, like you know, definitely the best in the world. So it took them five days and 23 hours. They were 10 hours in front of the next one, uh, 22 hours in front of uh, third place. Jeez, there was only 11 minutes between third and fourth. Um, oh, that's and then only crazy. another only another hour or so back to the next one. So, um, yeah, it's pretty crazy stuff. Not my cup of tea, but good on these people for doing it. Huge amount of DNFs this year. They had really tricky weather um, on day two, I think it was, and just raining and freezing cold, and quite a few teams had to do a bailout option. But if you want to get into this multi-day sort of stuff, check out God's Zone. It's, it's really one of the best races. I'll tell, tell you what, Nathan's been in a legendary effort for a very long time. So he got third in the coast to coast in 1998. Mm. You know, now that, yeah, and pretty much from that moment forward, he's just been winning. He's always been more of an adventure racer, but he's won like the Eco Challenge. Many people would have heard of the Eco Challenge. He won that one that they did last year, didn't they? Remember that, did that big one that became a reality show in America? Uh, yep, yeah, I, I don't remember what it was called, but I, I do remember that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they won that as well. Um, yeah, he's just what a long career, yeah, you know, and still getting strong, an absolute bloody rock star. You have no, no kind of appeal to do that, not really. No, no, going through the night, being cold and wet and miserable. I mean, I've got I take my hat off the people that do it, but it's just not my thing. I, I would love to do a multi day event a bit like what we do on epic camp um but having a bed to go to each night going through the night and getting cold and grumpy not my idea of fun well the interesting thing that we never experienced is that kind of te- you know on, on epic camp you can get a bit of tension because people get so tired but in this you know that decision making process in a group of people we are so fatigued mm-hmm. is another dynamic that we're not actually that skilled at are we we kind of it's very much a solo experience for us and being a team player, you know, you're only as fast as your slowest person. So that's got its pros and cons. Um, you know, it certainly test your patience at times. If, if you had some somebody or a couple of your teammates that are really struggling and you're feeling awesome, obviously that's part of being a team though. I, I think I've told the story before on a show, but one of the girls I used to know, she was, she was one of the top female athletes in the world. And she did one of them with like one of her lifetime's best friends. They'd never talked to each other again afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, seriously they hated each other at the end of it and never talked again like it was yeah it was and i asked her about it she just said you're so tired you say shit that you know you shouldn't say but you say it and you know yeah it's just a fascinating dynamic okay coming up this weekend we've got iron man 70.3 lanzarote is happening well there's some interesting things happening here so we've got big fields and strong fields Huge fields so I guess the thing is, Lanzarote, a lot of athletes will go over there for a training week. So the race, you know, in terms of actually winning much money, it's only $25,000. Uh, there will be slots for 70.3 world champs. But I think a lot of athletes will just go over there for a training camp and then tack on the race and uh, and hopefully do really well. But it's probably not so much about the money. So it's 25000 for both fields and it's paying 10 deep. Yeah, so it's there's not a lot of no, money on no. offer. Three spots, uh, three slots each for male and female. But what probably the most exciting part of the day for me is going to be see how Jess Learmonth goes in this event. So she's one of the best uh, short course athletes in the in the world. She does very well with the the Super League races. Uh, she did well at the Olympics, but she was a bit off on the day. She had some injury problems, but she's been one of the top races for a long time very aggressive amazing swimmer so she will come out of the water if not uh, i know lucy charles isn't racing but she'll come out of the water at the front or with lucy buckingham uh 
so she'll be at the front of the race it'll be interesting interesting to see how she attacks it um she's a very good on the bike and she's a good strong runner uh so i'm just interested to see how she goes you got Anne hug there so obviously it's a pretty strong field and Kat Matthews and Marjolaine Pierrier, Lucy Buckingham. Uh, so, yeah, no, it's a really good, strong field. So it'll be interesting to see if she's just doing it for, for shits and giggles or if she has prepared specifically for it. But she's a, a good athlete. Um, and we're also on the guys' side, we've got a short course specialist, Pierre Lacour, who did the 70.3 in... It was either Bahrain or Dubai recently, and he had a fantastic uh, run split there, 107. Uh, so he's seeded number one. He did get a bit dominated on the bike over there. Um, also got Florian Angert, Kyle Smith, our good old Kiwi, ready to spank it. He hasn't been back in the country, spent the whole of our summer uh, in the Northern Hemisphere winter in Girona. Uh, Clement Mignon, Barnots. So we've got a good, good strong field there. Be good to see how that goes. Yeah, good stuff. Okay, John's short course update. What's happening there, Jombo? Well, I had a look at the weekend. There was a race in France. It was part of a European Cup, and it was back to some indoor racing, Bevan. And we're not talking Zwift racing here. Really? We're talking indoor racing on a track, a sort of an indoor running track. So they plonked a 25-meter swimming pool in the middle of an indoor so running So is this recently? This isn't an old one. No, this, is, this was at the weekend. Oh. Uh, so it's not on a velodrome. We have seen a couple done on velodromes before, but this is on a running track. I think those tracks are, I think, 200 metres long. It's either 200 or 250. I assume it's 200. So they had a 25-metre pool, and then they were biking on the outside, I don't know, three lanes of the track. And those tracks, for people who haven't seen them before, they're not like a velodrome, but they are slightly um, ramped on the outsides. And then they would do the run on the inside two lanes. So they were swimming uh, 150 metres, and then I think they were biking three Ks and then running one K. So it is full gas the whole way through. Uh, it was only I think the guys took around nine minutes and the, the woman took around 11 minutes. Um, it wasn't amazingly interesting racing, but I think it's got potential to be awesome because what happened was uh, they spanked the swim in, in the guys' race and I think the females' race as well. They were all together on the bike. They were pumping it but there wasn't much room to move around and they were just, you know, just going full gas around the bike. And then it basically came down to a running race. So it had that excitement on the run leg where they're just going for it. And there was some, some changes in position for the rest of the race. So were kind of together when I was having a look at it um, and it was just working off the stopwatch on the TV, it looked like they went through hundred meters in the swim, the guys in 56 seconds, that's not mucking around. <laughs> and then, and I, I tried to take the time on the run and I think they did about two minutes 35 for the 1K. He's so, really. Yeah. So it, it, what, it, the run was exciting, but the rest of the race wasn't that exciting. Um, but I think if you did like the Super League format where you did an enduro, so you went swim, bike, run, swim, bike, run, or maybe did twice or three times through, then it would start to break up. And you'd, and you'd What was the field like, John? Packs. Oh, it was good field, good Europeans. Like Vincent Louis won the guys' race, okay. uh, and it was European athletes. There wasn't many other names that I was super familiar with, but you know they were they were strong enough to keep up with Vincent Louis for the for the, the you know two three quarters of the race, and then um, yeah, it was it's worth watching. So it was on triathlonlive.tv. If you guys want to check it out, I know I've probably spoiled who's going to win, um, <laughs> but it's kind of cool to go and see it. They had. Uh, I'm not sure if they had heat semis and finals, but they definitely had semifinals and finals, and there was 12, 12 in the race. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's got definitely got some potential. 
like when we think of like the arena games yeah um different because yeah i think in the arena yeah it, it, it's somewhat similar um but the, the thing arena games did well is then you've got those back-to-back races and different you know you're going in different yeah. orders so this one was was a bit of a procession on the bike like vincent Louis just got on the front on the bike and just gassed it as hard as he could and everybody was just hanging onto his wheel um so i definitely think it's got some it's got some potential and it was a good crowd and you know the flashing lights and razzmatazz so. with, um, with, with this john do um with the arena games i can't remember did they have drafting on the swift or was it very much tt uh no they had drafting from my recollection i'm almost positive they had drafting. okay okay but when in swift when you've got small fields like that uh I, did they only have how many did they have? I can't remember how many eight, they had. Nine, maybe, yeah. you, know, you, you, you can potentially get away or you can get a little breakaway going with relatively small fields. It's still hard, yeah. um, but you can potentially get the breakaway going. Okay, this week's discussion. So we were talking last week around who's gonna win because we had an average discussion. So I pulled out my button, I said, Who's gonna win the Ironman World Championships? in 2027, both male and female? We've got some few funny answers, but um, Eugene Collins got the person who crosses the finish line first. Funny guy. Ha <laughs> uh, Mick Simpson's got, shall I get the lottery numbers while you wait? People aren't, people aren't backing us on this one, John. Um, Edwards Evans has got which comp? I'm quite sure what that means. Okay, first serious answer. John Weir's got Flora and Bloomingfield. Interesting call. I have seen, I've, um, with my, I'm really prolific on my social media, Bevan, and I I've got tell. this thing called Instagram that I occasionally yep. look at. Yep. Uh, and I do follow Flora Duffy, and it looks like she's back training. So she's going to be doing something this season. Five uh, years from now? Yeah. I, I reckon. That's too long. Who knows what happens in terms of family life and things like that for her. Um, because she's mid to late 30s, isn't she? I uh, don't think she's quite that old, but she's she's not in her twenties anyway. Yeah. Um, Brent Johnson says Christian Blumenfeld, and then on the, fail, the female side, Taylor Nib. Uh, um, I've got John Weir's got Blumenfeld and Flora. Oh no, sorry. What you got again? I said your chin. He's gone a bit uh, random here. He's got <laughs> Magnus Ditlev. He had a DNF at the weekend at the Miami. Uh, Clash Miami. He was looking good. He was looked like he might run up into second place, uh, and then he DNF. So maybe the heat got the better of him. He's got Taylor Nib and then Marjolaine Perrier. Raymond Malig has got Bloomingfield and Nib. Uh, Alan Bryson. God, he's going Jan Fredino. How will Jan Fredino be then? Be mid forties. Uh, be my age. Forties on his. It's in Jan Fredino on his retirement comeback in Florida Duffy. So just for the record, Florida Free is currently 34. So she'd be 39 at this stage, you know, yeah. pretty much. Um, Peter Colson's go, oh, we know it won't be an American male. Ooh, putting, the, putting, the, putting the shit talk out, yeah. Uh, J-Lo Gilly says Gustav and Lucy. I presume he's meaning Lucy Charles. Um, Rob Dallymore has got good old Hayden Wilde and Flora Duffy. And last one I've got is George Samuel. Depends if the short course athletes move up. If so, it could be interesting with Duffy and I say Gustav or Christian. Well, Theo Shaw has got me. So good luck, Theo. Hopefully, hopefully you're, you're killing your training right now. If I'm looking at Theo's profile photos, he's an all-world athlete. So there you go. <laughs> what, what, what level are we looking here? We looking do you coach him, do you? Problems? He's giving you some love. No, no, I'm not. Uh, no. He said, I wouldn't have got there without John Newsom, Don, and Jenny Rose. Huh. Maybe you do know him. I probably do. 
Yeah. Who are you talking about again? Theo Scholl. Lives in Winston-Salem. Yeah. Got all-world athlete this year. So, um, anyway, uh, what are we saying here? We are saying this week's discussion. Oh, John, your thoughts. Oh, Theo Scholl's got a... That's not his. <laughs> that's not his name. Okay, <laughs> I do know who it is now. I'm just looking at the pictures. So, or has he got a uh, random name that's not based on the? That not based on his actual name. <laughs> uh, maybe he's a bit of an FBI guy on the on the side. Yeah. So uh-huh. my random ones. I'm going to go on the guy's side. Um, Martin Van Riel. He won the. Really. He won the whatever that 70.3 was the weekend before last, uh, Dubai or Abu Dhabi, wherever it was, he won that. He's good all round, very strong on the bike, awesome runner, very good swimmer. So I'm going to take uh, Martin Van Riel as my my guess. And then on the female side, I will stick with what a few people have said there and go for Taylor Nib. And I think she's going to stick with short course pretty heavily until the next Olympics. But the next Olympics are going to come around pretty quick. Yeah. Aren't they? They're going to be 2024. And so I think she'll go for that. And then uh, hopefully she goes long course full time. And I'd say she, she's a bit of a weapon. If we're looking at the young, the ITU people coming through, you're really thinking who are the people who the next Olympics are really their last one? Mm. You know, or, you know, or Bloomingfield, how is Bloomingfield? Yeah, and he'll be getting on a bit um, by the time we get to the next, uh, you know, five years' time. Yeah. You know, like, he's like a wild, it's going to be too young. He's still in his mid-career yeah. of his. Yeah, so who'd you say? I said Martin Van Riel. Uh, and he's been around for a while, but he'll, he'll be sticking with uh, with short course for, you know, until at least you'd think until the next Olympics. Um, just trying to find him on... Uh, I'd have to say Gustav Eaton. Yeah, quite highly likely. Because he's, he's still young. Yeah. You know, and he's too proven to be a bit of a rock star. And then females, who would be the, who would be the, you'd probably say Lucy Charles Barkley. Yeah, Irene, she'll be, um, she'll be. Five more years under her belt. She's pretty, yeah, you know. she's still pretty young, but she's, she's old, athletically reasonably old. Yeah, but that's, but she's not that old. She isn't, you know, how long she, she hasn't been racing forever. Okay, let's have a look at her age right now. So Lucy's currently 28. So in five years, she's going to be in her peak 33. True. You know, and, you know, she'll have, you know, a bit more run legs underneath her. Christian Blumenfeld's 28. Yeah, so I reckon my picks are, what, oh no, I said, and how old is Gustav? Uh, I think he's a little bit younger. Um, Martin Van Riel is, let's have a look at him. Don't have an age for him. Gustav is... 25. His world, rank, his world ranking hasn't been updated. He's currently 231 in the world. Um, Your guy? Yes. No, you got no hope. <laughs> I'm going to go, I'm going to say Gustafino. He's going to be 30 at that stage. Will he it'll be mid Olympic cycle by then, too, won't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so it's that kind of, do you kind of try to hang on to 32 to kind of go back at the Olympics? Well, how, how old's the oldest Olympic winner? I would be guessing. Uh, on the guy's side, it would be Hamish Carter um, at the 2004 Olympics. Don't know how old he was, um, but uh, that would be my guess. And then on the female side, who have we had? We've had Gwen Jorgensen. We've had Emma Snowsill. Uh, I don't think any of them have been particularly old. Nicholas Spurig uh, has probably been the oldest medalist. So I'm not quite sure on the female side, but I'd be backing Hamish Carter on the guys. So when did he win? He won 
18 years ago, did he? 2004. Yeah. And that so was he, towards, towards the end of his career. He was 32. So 32. I was going to say early 30s. Yeah. Do you think you could have a 32 year old man winning it? No. Yeah. So, like, young, that's why. Young I, man's game, Bevan's young man game. Well, that's why I think Gustav Eden might be the one. Mm. And he's not that great in, in short course anyway, is he? he? He's solid, but yes, he's not. He's, if it comes down to running race, he ain't winning. Yeah. So, I reckon I, that's my pick. I'm going to say him. And who do I say for females? I, I think Lucy Charles Barkley. Bevan has spoken. That's right. That's, I really hope I remember this seven years from now, five years from now. Okay, this week's discussion. Who have we got? We got. We got. Would you like to see a professional Ironman racing stay as it is, or try to be more innovative? For example, multi lex spectator friendly events. What other suggestions can you make to bring crowds and excitement to pro racing? Hmm. I'd love to see multi lap racing. Gotta be oh, awesome. Would you? Well, like a maybe like a. 30k loop or something like that you do it six times but from a spectator point of view to be on the ground you know you compare when we're going and watching at Kona granted you kind of want to go inside because it's so bloody hot but if there was a 30k circuit and you, you know well, I'm not talking about having age groupers all over the course as well it's so you can see the pros come past yeah. you know six times on the bike and and four times on the run or whatever it might be set uh, yourself up for the day wouldn't you it would be it'd be awesome the only challenge is, and this is what happens with these Miami races and these ones around the track, you kind of start to get lapped athletes and you're going, oh, what the hell's going on here? Who's actually in what, what position? At a world championship level, you know, the athletes are going to be of a caliber that it's reasonably unlikely they're going to get lapped, especially if it's like a 30K circuit. So, um, And also, you know, you only have 50 athletes in each field. So it's mm -hmm. not like it's, it's going to be that congested. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, here's a question. Here's a random question for you. A race where it's how far can you go in each discipline? So you might, you, you know, but you'd have to, it'd be quite hard to calculate, wouldn't it? Yeah. You I'm know, go too gimmicky. I'm just thinking some, some tweaks. You know, but you know, like you've got to run an hour, swim an hour, bike an hour, mm. you know, and then who gets the furthest? But the problem is, bike, the bike will get the advantage. So how did you even it out? But yeah, I hear what you're saying. Okay. So what, what are the, are you happy with how Ironman racing is? Or can we be more innovative in the way we make it more spectator friendly is the kind of the question. Okay, let's go website of the week. Okay, so this is a pretty cool innovation that Challenge are doing around uh, a few of the races that they've got putting along. And it's called remoteracing.com. And basically the concept is, is anybody can sign up to do the race over a four-day period in the race while that race is happening. And I've put some pretty, pretty cool criteria around it. So it's trying to make it a pretty even field or even kind of results at the end of it so talk about it jumbo so yeah it's so it's not 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 challenged that they've just partnered up with these guys remote racing and yeah it's basically as as the name suggests it's remote racing so you can sign up for it and you can do your uh your sprint distance half ironman distance ironman distance race at home so you swim in the pool and then you can either bike inside or outside and then you can run off the bike and they've put in a bunch of controls and you know um algorithms in a pool yeah but, but a bunch of algorithms and stuff in place to try to normalize those results as best they can based on your environment based on the terrain the wind the wind direction air pressure course elevation change and so on um so it's trying to even things out so let's not kid ourselves that this is going to be you know we're going to have world championship remote remote racing but i kind of think it's it's kind of a nice little training tool as much as anything because um 
it just adds that little extra layer of pressure when you're out there. So if you wanted to, you know, I often get athletes to do half Ironman simulation sessions and they go off and do them and, you know, they've got their power to, to try to stick to and their pace to try to stick to and, and doing it sort of around Ironman effort. If you can do that in a, in a setting where it's there's a little bit of competition in there, there's a little bit of pressure because your name will be on a results board, uh, I think it adds a little variable in there that can be quite useful. So some of the things that they've done that, that I think enhance what they're doing over and above, say, the Ironman virtual reality sort of stuff is, A, they've got those controls in place to try to normalize things. So how do they measure the things like the wind and stuff? Uh, oh, th- that stuff is relatively straightforward with all the you know, um, weather forecasting stuff all around. So just, the world just go to some website and get grab that information. Yeah. Um, one of the, the things I like is the run has to be off the bike and you've got to start that within 10, 10 minutes, minutes of yeah. finishing your bike. So I like that. They're controlling as many variables as possible. Um, and as I said, it adds that little bit of element to, of pressure to, to the simulations. There is a cost involved. It looks like it's $50 um, to enter into events. They have got these challenge races, Challenge Taiwan, um, the Championship, uh, Challenge Rote, and a couple of other races. But there are other events on there as well. I noticed they had Malibu and, and, and what have you. So the downside is um, it is controlled, but it's still... It's still not racing, racing, you know, there's going to be people that are going to cheat the system and it's not going to be perfect, you know, when you're running in 15 degrees centigrade versus somebody who's running in 35 degrees centigrade, yes, they can normalize it a bit, but it's not, you're not comparing apples with apples, but they're trying their best. And I, so I think it's just a interest, another interesting um, innovation. And I think it takes a step up from what we've seen with these other virtual races where there has been, you know, no variables controlling things. And um, yeah, so it's not something that I would go, you know, go and taper for and prepare for specifically. But, but if you, you've got like, a, you know, like, yeah, exactly. If you're going to do like a, a race day simulation day and you want a bit of pressure to actually kind of motivate yourself along the way, it's 50 bucks. So it's pretty reasonably priced. Mm. Um, you know, people do like that kind of carrot, don't they? Mm. So yeah, I mean, but and you're going to get cheats in there. We know that. So there's no point moaning about that. People are cheating on Zwift all the time. People's um, power meters and, and so on are going, to, are going to vary a bit. So, you know, you view it as a personal challenge and you, you take the results with it with a grain of salt. But it's, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if many people take it up. Yeah, good stuff. Okay, uh, John's oh, history lesson. Now, before you get into this, you sent this through, and, I, and you had a link to one of the videos to watch of the race. And I went down a YouTube rabbit hole watching some of the races around that period, actually a little bit earlier in this. So I went back and watched 1987. Oh, yeah. That, that, that was a good year, wasn't it? Because it was actually quite cool, because they had the YouTube, they basically had the, it was like a seven-minute clip, and they had Mark Allen and Dave Scott before the race. And, and Mark Allen was saying, you know, because Dave Scott was just such a good shit talker, you know. And so Mark Allen was saying, you know, the key is, you've, you know, Dave never walks. Never walk, so he, he's not going to crack. And back in those days, they did walk. You know, they do aid station walking and stuff. It's like Dave's never going to walk, and he's not going to give up. So I've got to stay off him, and I've got to put some pressure on him, and I've got to go to the next level. And so that's kind of what Mark did. So the run starts, I think, and Mark just kind of puts the pressure down, and he's putting like five to ten, ten seconds a mile on him, and then he cracks, you know. And it was that one, you probably remember this, but basically Mark cracks, he starts walking, and Dave's got past him, but he runs behind another car, so Mark can't see him. 
<laughs> so he basically is running. And those days, mate, those cars were over the place. Like seriously, as he's as he's passing, there's like cars going in both directions. It was pretty pretty chaotic. So there's almost like a big van that's gone driving past Mark. So Dave goes on the other side of the van. So Mark doesn't even know he's passed him. Um, <laughs> although Mark was gone by this stage and he actually ended up in hospital. He had internal bleeding, so it wasn't good. But Dave's got, Dave's got, he goes, um, you know, Mark's won Japan, Australia, Nice. He'd give that all up this year to win Kona. <laughs> like he's just kind of just laying it in. And then after that, I went and watched Bloody Molina's win in 88. Yeah. Yeah. And it was quite cool because um, Erin had a pretty tough day that year. So Paula won that year. Quite, I think she got 11th overall, which is what's the highest female result? Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm sure that's the highest. Yeah, it probably is. So, um, but it was quite cool because I had some good clips of Erin. So, Erin and Scott must have been building a house at that time, maybe mm. when they lived in Littleton. Yeah. And, and so, there's bits of them kind of. You know, putting the house together. Um, and it was also quite nice because Melina in this post-race interview, he talks about how, you know, he he you know, he always struggled in the heat, but he felt he had to win that race because he was one of the figures of the sport and that kind of winning this race gave him the pedigree kind of thing. And it was, yeah, it was just quite cool back to go back and watch those races as well. But today we're going to be talking about 1996, the year of debutants. Yeah, well, just one other thing on Molina. He was out there bloody Saturday and Sunday helping out with my Sea to Sky event, putting up bike racks and marshalling, and uh, that's pretty cool. So yeah. 1996, as Bevan said, the year of the debutantes. Now, um, in the, the previous year, uh, Thomas Hellregel, if you haven't heard of him, he was an extremely fast cyclist from Germany. He'd placed uh, second place behind Mark Allen in one of the greatest comebacks you'll ever see in Kona. He had a 13-minute lead that got run down by Mark Allen, and it's not like Hellregel capitulated and uh, Mark Allen just cruised it in, cruised it in. Uh, he still ran pretty well and Mark Allen had to run exceptionally well. Jeez, that's so, you'd never, because Rennie getting off the boat was 11 minutes, wasn't it? Something like that, yeah. You know, and that was freakish. That's yeah. 13 minutes, unbelievable. So now we'll have a link to this event in, uh, for the 1996 race in our show notes, so you can go and check that out, or just search for it on YouTube. It's the quality's a bit average. It's it's quite it's so entertaining going back and watching like the 80s and 90s events with the yeah. different styles. Well, one thing I found interesting is they didn't really have so many of the sob stories in the 80s. So you know, like not sob stories, but the inspirational stories. Um, 89, I think, was when it really all shifted because in 88. Now, it was like a 40-minute package. So it was probably an hour package for TV. I don't recall there being, like, I was kind of flicking through it, but there was no real obvious, you know, everyday person story. Um, it was more just kind of about the pros. And I imagine when the Hoyts came along, it was maybe one of the biggest shifts in bringing everyday people into it. I, I don't know, but based on what I saw. So in the race, um, the swim looked like it was exiting in a, at a different point to where it does these days. So at the moment, if you're looking at the water, when you come out of the, the swim, you're on the left-hand side of the pier. Uh, it looked like they came out on the beach, which is on the right-hand side of the pier or, or somewhere around about that. Uh, the bike course was also a bit different. Um, so back then, you rode along a Lee Drive at the end of the bike, and you'd finish at the Sheridan Hotel. Uh, and then I think the run still finishes at the same place. So yeah, it was, the course was all a little bit different. Um, but amazing racing. So firstly, on the guys' side of things, uh, Thomas Hellregel set off and. 
and just he wasn't the greatest swimmer so he's always got to make time up on the bike and he set a new bike course record however the problem he had was Luke Van Laird managed to stick with him uh, coming off the bike and Luke Van Laird um, as we were about to find out is an extremely good runner however uh, coming off the bike Hal Regal was in first and Luke Van Laird is in second but Van Laird has a drafting infringement to serve, so he had to sit in there for, for three minutes um, whilst Thomas Hellregal ran off. And Hellregal, he was known to be an exceptional cyclist. However, on this day, he managed to run a 2.46, which any other year um, yeah, is highly likely to win you the race, especially when you've been so dominant on the bike. But... This was the year of the debutants, and Luke Van Laird managed to set a new course record by running down Thomas Hellregal, and that course record stood until 2011, so stood for 15 years. In that same year, Luke Van Laird was also second at the um, ITU Long Distance Worlds, and he didn't, in this race, he didn't catch Hellregal uh, super quickly or anything like that. Hal Regal made it in and out of the energy lab and still had a lead, but he did lose two minutes in the energy lab and then his uh, his hamstring started cramping. So when you're thinking he ran a 2.46 plus he had to stop a few times to stretch out his hamstrings, he must have been running you know, at low 240s pace um, through that first half. But Van Laird managed to come back and uh, won the race and set a new course record that stood for a very long time. So in terms of their splits back then, um, we had Luke Van Laird swam a 51.36, so he was three minutes in front of Hal Regal in the swim. He rode a 4.30 and then ran a 2.41.48. And we know that it was very, I don't, don't think anybody's been under 2.40. And is, uh, well, I think it has happened now, hasn't it? Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe um, our surely, yeah, good old Rang um, might have done that. We'll check yeah. that in a moment. So he ended up winning it um, by uh, just under two minutes, one minute 59 in front of uh, Thomas Hellregal and Greg Welsh was another 12 minutes back in third place. So Dave Scott, also that was his comeback year. He had the second fastest run of the day with a 2.42, but he got dominated on the bike. Uh, so yeah, like exceptional race. And it's the only time other than Chrissy Wellington that I think we've had a debutante ever win the Hawaii Ironman. Uh, so very cool on the guy's side. However, what is a real shame and a travesty is that the females race in this event has does not go down. Well, no, it does go down as one of the greatest female races ever, but it doesn't really get pinned up. You know, we've got the, we've got Mark and Dave, we've got um, Macca and uh, what was his name? Ray Lurch, those ones, you know, we really pin those stories up as being those real yeah. iconic races, but this females event should be, pinned up as, as one of the greatest and Rennie Rennie coming back come back yeah but we don't we definitely don't talk about them as much but we should so Karen Smyers was a defending champ and she was uh in control on the bike for for a little bit um but then Badman on debut rode through the field to become first off the bike and Paul and Newby Fraser also got a drafting penalty so she lost uh, three minutes but the fascinating part of the day was the changes of lead on the, the run course. So Paula Newby-Fraser manages to get past, back past Natasha Badman. And normally when you pass people, you don't you break them. see them pass back back again very often. So she got past Badman. Um, 
but then Badman managed to come back and get past her again and get a bit of a lead on the Queen K. Um, but then Paul Newby Fraser then came back again in the final five five miles. So it must have been an awesome jewel uh, to be out there going, you know, shoulder to shoulder for 20 minutes. And as I said, it's just a bit sad that, you know, we don't talk about it uh, that often. It's just the guys seem to take the, the limelight. And if you did look at the results at the end of the day, it was um, you know four and a four and a half minute difference between first and second. So you, if you just looked at the results, you might just say, "Oh, poor Newby Fraser kind of had it had her own way once she got on the front on the run." But that was only part of the story. Uh, and then Karen Smyers was third. So certainly, 1996 has got to go down as one of the greatest races of all time. So when did Paula start to fade away? Was it around? Was it like because obviously Batman came in and was pretty strong. Um, was it- well, the good thing is, Bevan, because of the PTO, we've now got this, this fantastic resource. So she won in 1996, and then we don't have another result from her, and this might not be a comprehensive list. It's only back in those days, the PTO rankings is mainly just Ironman Hawaii and a couple of others, Germany and stuff. But she won in 96 in this race, and then uh, she got fourth in 2001. So she had a hiatus for a number of years by the look of it. Can't, I don't know if that was DNFs or she went into retirement, but then she went, did fourth in Ironman Hawaii in 2001, and then she did Ironman Germany in 2002, and that's all the results I can see on the, the PTO side of things. Okay, so basically that was kind of the last big big event for her. Yeah, and it was the coming of coming of Natasha Badman, and she went on to, you know, just be a, a dominator over on that course. Yes, yeah, she was. She was, wasn't she? Basically, she really it's really interesting. If you look at the female races early on, it was all over the place. But then Paula dominated 10 years with a couple other people taking Erin and Smyers took out a couple wins. And then she moves on. And then you basically have Batman but dominating the next kind of eight years with a couple of people taking. Batman won 98, 2000, 2001, 2002, got second in 2003, won in 2004, 2005. And then started fading a little bit after that. So that's bloody impressive. Really? Especially with someone who's always giving up so much time in the swim. Because she was miles behind, wasn't she? Yeah, swim, you know, it was was rare that uh, she'd broke an hour a few times, but um, normally greater than an hour. Yeah, I I tried to find the fastest runtime at Hawaii. Um, Oh, wait a second, maybe this has it. Oh, yeah, this little graph here would have it. Torsten will have it on try rate. No, okay, he's kind of got the fastest times, but he hasn't got the fastest. So I was looking more recently. You see the other one is that graph and it's got the times? It's, it's definitely got, um, yeah, well, obviously Patrick Langer broke Mark Allen's record. Oh, yeah, Patrick Langer did a 239.59. There you go. Yeah. So one Patrick, second under. So he's, he's actually the only person to go under 230, 240. Mm. That one second means a lot, but that's an awesome. Oh, yeah. oh my God, that's unbelievable. And the fastest females is probably what's that? That'd be Rennie. She, she maybe a two, 250, I think. Or yeah, she did a 250, 250, 38. But Chris, you did pretty close to that too. No, she was more like 252. Yeah. Um, also, if you go to the PTO page, guys, what you can do is it's got all the top. If you go, I'm in Hawaii, you can see all the winners. But then if you actually go down for each section, it's got a graph for the speed times. Um, it has your fastest in each overall each year but also the different categories so the fastest swim bike run for male and female so and it's just interesting look at the trends so the woman's bike if you look at that it's have a dramatically it's kind of been this downward trend and i tell you what good old daniel reef when she did 426 by far the fastest bike of all time wow 
you know, the rest of most other bikes are in the, like 50s, 50, 50, 55, 50, 50, 50. And she did a 226. Yeah. And interestingly, so that was what year was that? That was 2018. 2018 on the men's. That was a real fast year. Yeah, but it was still only, oh, Cameron Worth did 409. You know, but you know, like that's smoking quick from Daniela. That's going to be faster this year if they have good conditions. Guarantee it with the yeah bike evolution, the, the evolution of the athletes, and the run times are just going to keep plummeting down with new shoes and stuff. So yep. I reckon if conditions are reasonable this year in Hawaii, we're going to see some fast times. Do you know what? But I want a hard year. We haven't had a hard year in years, John. Yeah. We come, on, global war- come on, global warming. Yeah, come on. Spray your sprays, guys. <laughs> okay. Coaches Corner. You're meant to be, by now, you're meant to be peaking. You know, you're oh. meant to be getting ready to peak. You know, you talk the big game. I remember a few years ago, you're going to go sub 16 in a 5K. What happened to that? Someone asked me the other day um, what my PB for, uh, for a marathon was. And I was like, what? What? Yeah, that yeah, was 238, wasn't it? Yeah, but that was 2010. I was like, Jesus, that's <laughs> that's quite a while ago. What do you reckon and, you could uh, pop one in now? Oh, well, right now, if, if I prepared and say, say in October time, tried to do the Auckland Marathon, geez, I think uh, 245 at best, I'd say. I geez, think I think I'd struggle for a sub three. Right? Oh, if I get myself time to prepare, yeah. I'd have to get under three. I'd be oh, disappointed. Well, John, I'm, your I'm, fragile I'm, body, though. Who yeah, thanks, mate. Thanks, thanks a lot. Yeah. Okay, so what are we talking about today? So, yeah, I've got the kind of 70.3 coming up in whew, a few months' time. So the first weekend of June. And as you guys know, I'm not in peak condition these days, um, but I still go into races and can get plenty of satisfaction out of them by setting up the expectations early. And I think a lot of people are in that same same boat. You know, you're getting a little bit older each year. Sometimes you're where your priorities with triathlon change a little bit in your life if you've got family and so on but you want to keep racing but you know you're not going to be as fit as you once were it's sometimes a bit hard to go into races going i'm actually going to be slower here um and so you're never going to get that well not never but reasonably unlikely you're not going to get that pb so setting those expectations early is really important so probably the three main questions i ask myself is firstly how fit or fast am are you right now at the start of your build-up and just sort of have a good hard think about that and set some realistic times um you know where you are right now in terms of pace in the pool power on the bike pace on the run and just so you get a good snapshot of where you're at and that might require to do some testing um you know whether it be ftp testing or going doing some some running races just so you know okay this is actually where i'm at and then you can set some realistic expectations based off that then you need to ask yourself how much time you're going to invest into training yeah so you know in the past you know i might have done 15 to, you know maybe up to 20 hours a week when you're training for Ironman right now I'm not actually in a place where I'm going to invest that much time into my training so you just got to think how much time you're going to do and that's going to shape again your expectations about what time is going to be possible and then sort of go through and review your past performances so that's what I've done for the 70.3 in Kona it was quite interesting for me to do this I, I always do it when I'm sort of starting a campaign uh, so the last three times I've done the Kona 70.3 was 2014 2017 which was the year that I won it and 2019 and on those three years um 
The bike, I first time round, averaged 251 watts. The second time round when I won it was 261 watts. And that was around about 82% of my FTP. And then 2019 was the last time I did it, and that was 257 watts. Um, heart rate's pretty consistent across all those, so I kind of know my, my effort that I'm putting out is pretty even with those um, events, even though the power numbers are fluctuating slightly. And with the run over there, it, it varies quite quite significantly because they change the course um, reasonably frequently and the conditions are difficult and you spend a lot of time running on grass. So the speed is, is nothing compared to what you'd get out on the road. So my run times, first time around was 4, 4 minutes 10 per K. Second time was 4.19 and that was actually the year that I won. I ran the slowest. And then uh, the last time I did it in 2019 was a 4.08 average. So the process I sort of go, go through to set those expectations, um, for me, times are kind of irrelevant, and that's especially true with, with Kona, because the conditions change, the course changes, and so on. Um, I'm also, that first question or second question I asked, and I'm not going to devote as much time to training this time around, so, and I'm starting from a, a lower point. Normally, I would have raced the New Zealand sort of domestic season and, and sort of start this build up in a reasonable place, so that's another little mark down, and then... What I can still um, put out there is the same relative effort on the bike. So, you know, I know that my heart rate over there on the bike is normally going to be around the one around the mid 130s, so 135 to 140. So that's one of the key measures that I um, take into it. It's going, I need to try to optimize the power output I can do for that particular effort. Um, and then likewise on the run, I'm usually about 10 beats higher on the run. So I just need to work out that sort of pace that is realistic um, to run when I'm at 145 to 150 beats per minute. So, so those will be my strong measures. The bikes have always been at 80 to 83% of FTP. Uh, and I know what I'll be doing closer to the race is, is doing some FTP testing, get a realistic number, and I'll still be trying to pitch for that sort of same range but I'll know that my power is likely to be down, um, you know, probably 10 to 15 watts. Swimming's always a bit tricky, um, so I just use pool-based stuff, and, and really the swim in any race is going to be off perceived effort, so I won't do anything crazy. So for me, um, realistically, I'm expecting my bike to be 10 to 15 watts below where I've had it in the past, and now I'm a bit injured, I'm sort of on the back foot, so I'll just kind of have to feel my way through that, but I expect to be, you know, a good 10 seconds per case slower, so... The bottom line, though, is whenever I sort of get my expectations in place and start coming up with the race plans, is the number one objective is to get to the finish line and be absolutely buggered. So no matter what's happened um, during the build-up, that's the number one objective. And if you hit that, then you've, you've got to be happy that you've, you've done the best on the day. And uh, But yeah, at this stage of the game, setting expectations is pretty, um, pretty important. So in the way you train, is it different? Uh, well, if we put the injury to one side, no, probably not. Um, it's just less. It's, it's just a little bit less volume. Uh, so I'll only be swimming twice a week. Um, I'd like to be doing a little bit more, but definitely what's uh, supplementing that what would be different this time around, I'm going to supplement that with a bit more uh, swim cord work. So in the past, I'd try to swim three times a week. So it's going to be two swims plus some swim cord work. Um, as we get older, yes, there's going to be a little bit more strength. So I'm probably a bit more diligent with that these days than what I have been in the past. Yeah. Um, but no, in terms of training, not changing massively. Um, but one thing by training a little bit less, it does also help the fact that we'll get a little bit older 
and you just need to have a little bit more recovery between those key sessions. So I guess my hard sessions aren't going to be any harder, um, but I'll just be spreading them out a little bit more through the week. And you, you know, we've spoken, I know you're not old, but, um, you know, one thing that we kind of hear from guys who are getting to the 50s and 60s is that, you know, you can't do so many hard sessions in a week and recovery becomes more important. Is that, is that something you're aware of already or is that something you can still kind of push through? Uh, it's I'm certainly aware of it, um, but it's like when you're coming from a relatively low level of fitness compared to where you've been at the, at, you know, in the past, yeah, yeah. I just find it takes a little time to get over that initial hump. So a bit like running, you know, if you're just in a general, like where you're at at the moment, you know, you might be running two or three times a week. Once you start getting into that, you know, three to four or four and a half times a week, getting over that hump is the hard part. Once you're over the hump, it's okay. Um, yeah. But that initial build up, you're going, holy crap. And that really has a bigger, I'm fine. That has a bigger impact on the, the, the bike, you know, you're just a bit more tired from the running, but once you're over that hump, then, then you're okay. So you certainly don't need to give up the ghost as you, as you age, but you just got to spread some of those key sessions out a little bit more during the week. Do you find you, you know, like, because your body's, you know, with the running, um, do you try to put more focus on the intensity in the bike? Uh, no, keep it, keep it pretty, um, well, it's different again, because yeah. I'm injured now, it's yeah. a little bit different, but no, um, still have sort of t- two key run sessions per week, two key bike sessions per week. And I'll sort of, I'll, I'll document that over the, over the coming weeks as we sort of move through and give you guys an idea of what a key session looks like for me. So no, it's, it's generally spread through, through the week, you know, two key bikes, two key runs, swimming's you know it's only twice a week so it's you know there's some hard swims in there but it's, there's only so much you can do in two swims per week so mm. no, i'm looking forward to the process hopefully this hamstring heals itself up and it's just what do you nice do for the hamstring are you, are, you, are you strengthening what are you doing for it bit of everything i mean the last few days has been a bit uh haywire i've been organizing an event but no good old uh, hot chick kylie cox is onto the case and she's going to heal me up i saw hot chick running last night actually Hot choc or hot chick? Hot chocolate chick. Um, <laughs> she was she was running down because I saw her. She doesn't need to bring her elbows in when she runs, Sean. I, I, I was because she she twists quite a lot because the elbows are wide. And I was checking out this woman's technique and I was like, make it up. She's got an epic t-shirt on. I was like, make it up. That's hot chick. And I was like, she'd bring your elbows in, tuck them in. She's been told. Yeah, well, well, just been told again. Um, so yeah, but yeah, no, so I did see her out there. And when's your race? What date's the race? It is the first weekend of June. Okay, so you got about 10 weeks. Hmm. Okay, good times. Okay, let's go wanger of the week. And you've chosen a pro. Well, I didn't. The, the random.org chose a pro for me. So oh. I chuck in random.org. We've got 100 people that make our leaderboard on Strava each week. So How many hours do you need to make? Because I'm going to get my, I bought myself an Apple Watch, John. Yes. And so my Strava, now I'm going to be able to put my fitness classes in. Now, I don't normally upload my Strava. Yeah, this won't count that though. Uh, oh. I, I thought that I, th- I was thinking the same thing a few weeks ago. I thought, uh, you know, when I did that big bloody walk, which was, I think, the, yep. the genesis of this hamstring issue, was going on that bloody seven-hour epic walk. That I, that, that, I did measure that because the kids wanted to know how far it was and all that sort of stuff. This is only measuring swim, bike, and run. So you're screwed with all your gym work. Oh, that sucks because so, I thought I'd finally get on. The, I think I've never even made it to the top 100. Go, you generally got to do sort of 12 to 13 hours to sort of get in the top 100. So this week, Rachel Cunningham from Wellington was la- uh, not last. She was 100th and she did 11 hours and 57 minutes of training. So, oh, so uh, Tempo Skipper is good old Joe Skipper. Yeah. That, that's so our this, winger. 
So when, when you mentioned before um, about Sam Long doing 45 hours training a week, yeah. let's have a look last week for Joe Skipper. So he kicked off. And this I don't think he, he hasn't got his swimming on here, but he's got all his biking and his running. So he kicked off on the 7th of March with uh, a 75K ride. And then on the 8th of March, he did a 109K ride. And he also did, did a 2K run, <laughs> just a little run off the bike. And then he did, oh, it was probably just a warm-up. And then he did a 13.7K tempo run. So he did a bike run that day. Then the next day, oh, he also had a warm down. And then on the ninth, he did another 140 kilometers. So holy shit, that's, uh, what did he do? He did 75 Ks on the first day. And then he did 109. And then he did 140. And on that same day, he did a 13K run. He has got a swim in there, 4K swim. Next day on the 10th, he did a 20K run. And... The next day, he did another 81Ks on the bike. And he did a bit of a track session, 6 by 1200 or something at the track. And then on the, th the next day or yesterday, did another 128Ks on the bike and a 12K run. So you guys can do the, the total. No, I can that. tell you, John. So basically, if you look at his times, he kind of averages about 16 to 20 hours a week with the odd big week in there. So, like, you look into August, he did a, might have did a couple of races here. Um, so, you know, if you look, because if, if you go to Strava, you can do time, not distance in the graph. And so in the last, since December, he's probably averaging about 20 to 25 hours a week with the odd quiet week in there. And his biggest week was about maybe 28 hours. No, and he might not include everything in there because, like, last week, I think there was only one swim in there, and I'm sure he'd be swimming more than, more than once a week. Yeah. Um, but the other interesting stat here with good old Joe Skipper is uh, they've got the, the comparisons, you know, longest bike ride, biggest climb. So yeah. I've still got, got Joe. I've got him right where I need him on the biggest climb. I've done 1,623 yeah. meters, which is over the Col d'Isoir, I think, in uh, France. And his, but he's only got 1,341. However, his longest bike ride pulls my pants down. My, my longest is 302.9 kilometers, which is, I'm pretty proud of that. And his longest is 524.9. He did a 12 hour challenge. We probably mentioned this at the time. Yeah, I remember it was That's right. Yeah. It was, the break was 2020, 524 kilometers, 12 hours, and average speed 43.7 kilometers per hour, average watts 280 watts. Uh, that's unbelievable. That's, the average speed. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a lot of kilometers. Good trading load number. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just doing it on some straight roads, but you still do. You know, regardless, you're outside and you're doing it. You're not. You're not doing just a tailwind ride. He was going up and down, so that's uh, that's pretty intense. It's amazing, isn't it? Mm. Your average speed's forty three or nearly forty four mm. for twelve hours. I can manage that for, you know, for like a a 16, 10 mile time trial, something like that. I can probably just manage that, but that's, that's all in full, full, full gas. That's awesome. Mate. You know, and that's why he's one of the best in the world, isn't it? You know, this is the difference. What's, what's cool about this. You can kind of check out who are the greatest and what kind of numbers are they putting out? Um, it was good having him on the show last week. He's always good character. He's been putting a lot of shit out there about all the races he's doing right now, which is good to see. So Joe Skipper or Tempo Skipper, you are our Ooh. winger of the week. Of the week. 
Okay, let's go. Questions and answers. We've got one here from uh, Neil Thompson. He's got here. Lord Flashheart, I think. Oh, that is true. Yep, that's right. Uh, How do you adjust your FTP between road and TT bike? Oh, yes, Lord Flashheart. He's even put it in there. Love your work, Neil. Uh, So relatively simple. Oh. Oh. Got carnage here. Microphone went flying off my little cardboard box that's sitting on. Uh, so, Neil, uh, relatively simple answer to this is you need to go and do some testing with your road bike and your TT bike. So, I'm, I'm working on the assumption that you know what your FTP is. So, for people that aren't super familiar with FTP, that is your um, one hour threshold power. So, if you were to go and do one hour time trial, that's the power you can do. Most people get that number by estimating it off some like a 20 minute TT or a ramp test or so on. But it's, yeah, it's an estimation of what you can hold for one hour maximum effort. And yeah, there is often a difference between your TT bike and your road bike. And the reason for that is the different position you hold, you know, um, when you're down on your aero bars um, versus sitting up, some people generate uh, significantly more power on their road bike than what they do on the TT bike. Sometimes it's the other way, but more often people can generate a bit more when they're sitting up uh, on the t- on the road bike. So what you need to do is much like the FTP testing you would do probably on your TT bike, you need to go and do it on your road bike. So go and do things like a 20 minute TT. Um, and what you want to do is you do that TT, but then you want to have a look at your other numbers. So whenever you're doing any testing, you don't just go, right, I'm done one TT, that's what my FTP is, and you stick it to the wall and go, that's it. You've got to start looking at your other efforts as well. So the starting point might be to go and do a 20-minute TT, and then you go and do some other percentage effort work uh, workouts. So you might go and do uh, you know, a session where you're riding at 75% of your FTP, or you know, which is slightly above your Ironman effort. And then you might do some at 85 and do that both on the TT bike and on the road bike and sort of compare and hopefully they'll be nice and consistent. But yeah, that's that's basically what you need to need to, need to go and do. You need to do some semi-regular sort of testing um, as the results will move around depending on where your fitness is at. So I know for me, you know, my sort of peak FTP is often up around 315, maybe 3, 320, 325, sort of in that range. Um, whereas at the moment, I know it's, you know, 300 watts if I'm lucky. Uh, so it does move around based on your sort of fitness level. So Neil, simple answer. Go do some testing on your road bike. Um, on the flat, uh, it will vary a bit on the hills, but on the flat, you just want to go out there and do a 20-minute TT and enjoy it. Good times, rock and roll. Oh, one other thing I'm going to add to this. Yep. When you're doing FTP testing inside um, for, for Zwift and or whatever platform you end up using, if you're going to use that outside uh, to base your outside numbers, you need to do that testing on your Euro bars because that's the position you're going to be racing in. So, you know, if you go and do them sitting up and then you take those numbers outside, they'll be in the right sort of ballpark, but you're going to get a much more accurate um, number if you do your, your, your testing sort of inside on your aero bars. Okay, good times. Okay, let's say a big thank you to our amazing patrons. Oh, hold on, John Swimsuit. Oh, sorry. Oh, I skipped over there. Don't try oh. to wash over there. You gave COVID to everyone at the pool. Sorry? You gave COVID to everyone at the pool. No, I didn't find out. So, <laughs> till afterwards. So, anyhow, uh, what did we do at the pool this morning? We did a 600 warm up which was 100 freestyle, 50 backstroke, 100 freestyle, 50 breaststroke. Did that twice through. And then we did a series of descending efforts. So getting progressively quicker, we did 
three four hundreds to send one to three. So each of those was uh, 10 seconds quicker. Then we did 100 easy IM just to loosen off the arms. Then we did four 200s to send one to four. So again, progressively quicker. Uh, then 100 easy IM. And then five 100s descending one to five progressively quicker. 200 warm down. I think it was three and a half Ks all up. Good solid little swim. Luck, we had to stand around waiting to get in the bloody pool this morning. Lifeguards didn't turn up on time. Oh, really? What's all that about? Yeah. Hey. Out of bed. So that, was a, that was today's swim. That's going to be the worst job of all time, doesn't it? Lifeguarding? Hell no. Really? Imagine being on a production line, like sorting out. Nah, my my ex-girlfriend, Raylene, she used to be lifeguard. When she was studying, she did lifeguarding. It was a, She'd ring me every day and ask him, oh, he's come hang out with her. I've done lifeguarding before. It's not that bad. I mean, she, it's bad. But... It's standing there just watching people in a noisy, smelly environment. And the only thing that excitement is that someone shits in the pool. Mm. <laughs> it's, and it happens often. Yes. It, and you've got a clock in front of you the whole time. Yeah, it was pretty hard work. Yeah. Pretty Good student hard. job, though. Good student job. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, okay, let's say thank you to our patrons. Nathan, the mighty mole, Regan. We've got Ian cashing in banks. And Anna, the theropod. Demopolis. That's why I let you go first. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we do say thank you to our patron sponsors. We've got the World Triathlon Store. Remember, you're in the world to draw to win a $200 voucher or a refund. Support the podcast by purchasing some gear. You go to imtalk.me, then store, and you can see we've got the Lumo, we've got the pink, we've got the blue range. We've got profile design. It's wheels, hydration, storage, aerobars, steams, and handlebars. If you're racing long course and you've not got a front bottle system, make sure you get one. Remember the interview we did with Dave Belden last year. Yeah, that was an awesome interview, wasn't it? This guy goes deep. If you haven't listened to it, go back and interview. Go back and listen. Uh, If you're in your off-season, it's a great time to play with your setup. And also profile systems are really adjustable. The Magic 5, they've been on Shark Tank, so they must be good. Custom-fitted swimming goggles, you check out themagic5.com. Yeah, if you haven't experienced, if you've experienced ill-fitting or leaky goggles, these are for you. They're custom designed by a facial scam, and they're really inexpensive. Basically, two hundred dollars New Zealand for three pairs, which is about fifty dollars US a pair, um, which is pretty awesome, really. Uh, if Yarn uses them, they must be good for you. So we're giving away a prize for some of the goggles, John. We have. We've got Mandy T Mac Towler. You have got yourself a pair of the Magic 5 goggles. They are awesome. I use them uh, for all my swims, and you can get different sort of – I've got the, the clear set, which I use in the pool, but you can get all sorts of different uh, tints for using in open water and different conditions. So check them out. Mandy Towler, you've got yourself a pair. So, guys, if you want to support the show, um, we really do appreciate it. It keeps us uh, going and, and making sure, you know, the show – Keeps progressing. Show sure must go on. Also, you're in with a good chance to win yourself some of these prizes. We've given away some awesome profile design stuff recently. Um, the Magic 5 goggles, and you can get yourself some gear from the World Triathlon Store. Thank you, John. But what you gosh, you had your race on the way. Oh, wait a second. Uh, sponsors, we already talked about them. Um, want to pick a patron, George did it there if you want some coaching, coachjohnnewson.com. Uh, my website, Bevan James. I was one thing I am going to say is my book is coming out in June, and I want you guys to promote it. It's a book that's not designed for you guys because it's not for people who are exercising. It's for those who aren't exercising, and it's called "I Will Make You Passionate About Exercise." Uh, 
it's not ready yet, but it's, it's basically about 10 weeks away from coming out. And I really want you guys to help me to spread the word because I think it's a book that can help a lot of people. So you'll be hearing more about that soon. If you want to send us content, go to imtalkpodcast at gmail.com. John, you had your race. How did it go? It was the Brad Richards Building Sea Sky Challenge, and it was awesome. Uh, it was a lot of work to get it off the ground, to be honest. So the Kiwis will know, will know the reason why, but as Bevan and I have said the last couple of weeks, you know, Omicron's uh, cranking through New Zealand, and uh, in particular the last week it's cranking through Christchurch. And so leading into the race, you know, this normally I'd, for this event I'd have maybe 350 to 400 people doing it um i knew you know i'd set my budgets and everything based on significantly less than that but yeah i wasn't uh quite prepared for the number of withdrawals in the days leading into the race because I'd, I'd given a you know assurance it was 100 refund if anybody had to pull out through COVID or being a close contact so man they were <laughs> they were coming in by the hour and the few days leading in I think I had it. It was around about 15 percent withdrawal rate um, in the in the event. Oh, so really? Was adding uh, uh, wasn't wasn't stressing me out because I knew it was yeah you know, I'd sort of budgeted for that sort of stuff. But it was um, yeah it was it's pretty widespread in Christchurch. Well, it's interesting at the gym right now. Just like you know, like my Monday night class get 100 people in it. I think I had like 40 last night. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. like it's a significant difference. So, but no, it was it was awesome. The day before, the the two days before, there was some serious waves pumping in. Like this is a, this is a surf beach where we have the the event. It's you know probably thirty percent of the time there's hardly any wave there. Thirty percent of the time there's a bit of a wave, and then it just sort of starts to crank up from there. And the couple of days leading in, it was big and it was messy, and there was like there's no way there's going to be a swim in that. And then on race day, we still had a really nice wave. It was a lot cleaner. Uh, it was just, you know, the waves were coming in, but they were clean. Uh, so it was great. People were crapping themselves on the start of the swim, which is always fun to see. Um, but nobody got pulled out of the swim, which is awesome. So it was it was a, supposed to be about a 750 swim. It measured a little, a little bit long this year. Um, but people were crapping themselves. You see people commenting on social media after the race. was absolutely packing myself uh, but nobody got pulled out of swim and it was oh, uh you see through cool. the photos it did look pretty epic oh it was just cool to, to have people you know in a sprint distance race really overcome some challenges and get through it and then just be super proud of themselves afterwards that they managed to get through the get through it and uh and enjoy the process and hopefully build some confidence from that and then it's an awesome bike course and an awesome run had so many bloody covid procedures and controls in place it was um yeah it was it was it was a tricky race to run but everyone was very appreciative because pretty much almost everything else down here has been cancelled so um pretty happy though that it's the end of the season because i don't know if i'd have the stomach to, to organize another another covid race fingers crossed this time next year we won't have to worry about that jumbo what else you got well that was it that was sort of dominated my uh dominated my week really so not much else cool. Bevan, well, what about yourself? Do you know what we did on the weekend, John? Because I, I do not know. We wanted to go around to the friend's house to watch the league. <laughs> Warriors, did you watch Warriors? <laughs> I saw the result. No, they were hopeless. They were hopeless. Like, I, I, I always wanted to win the first game because I can keep saying this year's our year. This is this our year. rugby league team that's based out of Auckland. We're based in Australia, but we've only got one team and they're yeah. playing the Australian competition. And they're not and doing well. They started poorly and they started, they just made stupid errors all the game. But anyway, so we're going to go to friend's house. Luckily we didn't because it turns out he had COVID. Um, <laughs> so we didn't do that. So we thought we're going to go for, grab some nice dinner and we've never done it. Do you do Uber Eats? I refuse. Do you ever do takeaway? 
Yeah, yeah, do takeaways. What do you do for takeaway? Uh, Thai or Indian. Any Thai in particular? Yeah, there's the, the red elephant on Huxley. Oh, Colombo and Huxley. They're good. Yeah, they're pretty good, aren't they? Well, we don't do we even do an Uber Eats either, but we we thought, I wonder if you get a free voucher if you do it first time. Now I guarantee you're gonna do this. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably about the one time that I've done Uber Eats. So we got a thirty, I got a thirty dollar voucher, and Joe got the app as well. So she got a voucher, I got a voucher. And then you do you pay you you get two weeks for yeah, they've got this system where you own, like people are going to know this because most people probably use Uber Eats. You pay 10 bucks a month and you get free delivery. So you got a $30 voucher and I signed up for that, but you, but no, but you cancel it. So, so basically free delivery and $30 voucher. Burgers and beer. Have you had burgers and beer? Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolute gold. Well, I went crazy. I actually ended up spending an extra $15. So I got $50 worth of food for burgers and beer. <laughs> Because they have chips and gravy, the gravy is so good. They end up getting double gravy, the burger, and halfway through the burger, I haven't even started my chips. I thought I'm in trouble here, <laughs> but I persevered, John. I persevered. Nice. It was very, very good. And then we deleted the app, so yeah. that's how we roll. We were like that. Uh, albums you showed them. We showed them. Well, the good thing is burgers and beer would have made their money. Yeah, yeah. So that was good. Um, Album is 99.9% finished. Right. Went around, did the engineering the other day. Might have to put a song on the show pretty soon, John. It's pretty exciting. Oh. And then what about this weekend? What are you up to maybe this weekend? We have, maybe we can have the music inserts that I want during the show that you never do. Yeah, it's too much hard work. <laughs> yeah. what, um, what am I saying? Um, what are you up to this weekend? Well, we've got the challenge now. I've got to try not to get COVID in the next uh, next 10 days. I'm Why 10 to- days? Well, I'm taking Thomas up to national champs. Now, he's absolutely packing himself that he's going to get COVID. Yeah. And so he's not uh, not thrilled. So that's sort of... Uh, well, don't you want to get it today? Because well, you only have to have seven days off. Yeah. So we... <laughs> yeah, get it get, today. We need to get it today. Uh, and then, yeah. It's so funny because my mate Jeff's got it and he's at home with the whole family and the whole family's not getting it. Yeah. And his wife really wants it, so she's like trying to give him dirty patches and stuff. She's and getting into it. <laughs> most action he's seen in months. <laughs> <laughs> and it ain't happening. So um, I'm amazed I haven't got it because I go to the gym. It's got to be yeah. a cesspit for it, but I haven't seemed to have had it yet. Although maybe I've had it and I don't know. Exactly. Fingers crossed. Right, Ben, I'm going to go jump on Swift now because it's the weather looks like it's going to be rubbish out there. Oh, it's not that bad. Yeah. Getting on there anyway. (laughs) Okay, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Mando. Train hard. Train smart. Kia Kia.